Amen. Thank you, Bumgarners, for that ministry and music. Appreciate that very much. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn them open to Philemon once again. Um, we're going to be spending time in Philemon today, of course. And as I mentioned, we're going to be splitting this up into two weeks. I think that's the best way for us to tackle it. Just had too much to say this morning. And uh, so we'll take we'll take that on next week as well. Philemon's kind of one of those hard books to find. It's easy to skip over. It's a small book. It's located somewhere towards the end. It's kind of like the the Rhode Island of, uh, of Bible books. OK, they just can. You can just drive right past it if you're not. If I offended anybody from Rhode Island this morning, I apologize if that's your home state. We used to drive up to Massachusetts a lot and you just go, oh, yeah, I just drove through Rhode Island. So anyway, no, not knocking Rhode Island anyway. But it's one of those uh, hidden books is what I mean. And uh, it's one of those things you can easily look over. And and uh, if you're not careful, you know, we, I, I'm sure many of us, you know, walking in this morning, if I were to ask you, what's Philemon about? You might not know. It just is something that we overlook and don't study that much. And for whatever reason, it's just one of those things that the Holy Spirit does. I, I looked at this before other times when I had to preach. and I'm like, I'm just going to preach on something else this week. I'm like Philemon. I've got to preach on Philemon. I don't know why, but things just kind of came alive to me. So here we are. It's just how how God works. OK, it's a powerful book. It's got some very convicting things to it. It's a very personal book. It's a letter. And we forget that a lot of times these are books and you say they're, they're books of the Bible, but really they're letters, personal letters a lot of times. Uh, that Paul wrote in, in some of them are, are not letters. Some of them are histories. Uh, some's law. You know, there's different kinds of categories of, of Bible books. But in this case, it's a letter. And and as we read it as such, I think we'll learn a lot uh, in the way that Paul uh, interacts with Philemon and talks to Philemon. OK, and so uh, I'm not going to get into what exactly it teaches yet. I don't want to give that away. We'll save the application to the end. OK, I don't want to ruin my ending, but we'll just explore it together and go through it and see what we learn. Now, I, I do need to give you some setting up front. OK, obviously, I can't just jump right in. It's helpful to know a little bit about the background of this letter before we begin. So you understand what's being said. Uh, as I said, it is a letter and it is written by the Apostle Paul to this person named Philemon, who was probably in the area of Colossae at the time. OK, if you don't know where that is, that's in modern day Turkey. OK, where is Paul? We're not really sure. He doesn't tell us, but he does say that he's in prison. So that could be any number of places. Um, he could be in Rome. He could be in Ephesus. I, I tend to not think he was in Rome because that would have been a long journey for him to get back to Colossae. And he's talking about coming back soon as if it's an immediate thing. And he's sending this other individual, Onesimus, back to Colossae. So if they were that far apart, it'd be a little bit more difficult. Ephesus is also in modern day uh, Turkey, Asia Minor. So uh, that's not as far away. They're probably a little closer together in that in that regard. But Paul's in jail. Uh, Philemon is this individual he's writing to. And here's the situation that prompted him to write this letter. Philemon was a notable Christian person. OK, and that's what we can tell by what Paul says. Uh, he says a church met inside his home. OK, so apparently he has room enough for a group of people to come. And he also has at least one slave because it names this guy Onesimus, who was formerly a slave to him. And, and now Paul is returning him back to him. So we at least know that a church meets in his home and that he has a slave. So he must have at least some wealth to him or else this wouldn't be possible. Um, we also see uh, that Onesimus 
is this the name of this slave? And that he he ran away from Philemon and somehow he came in contact with Paul. That's more of the, the background to this letter. And uh, after some time, Paul decided to send Onesimus back to Philemon along with this letter. And basically, the book is going to be about this. Paul's going to tell Philemon how Onesimus was converted during this time of him being apart and how during this time of him coming in contact with Paul, somehow Onesimus became converted and now he's sending him back and he's going to ask Philemon to forgive him of all the wrongdoing that he has done and to receive him not just as a slave, but now as a brother in Christ. Now, originally, as I said, I was going to preach this in in one sermon and, and the overarching theme of the book of Philemon is on forgiveness. Okay, because that's ultimately the thrust of what Paul is going to ask Philemon to do, to forgive this individual. But again, because of just the length of it and the things that we, we can talk about, I want to split it up in two. So next week, really, we'll talk about the forgiveness aspect, how difficult that can be sometimes, and just what Paul is asking Philemon to do here with it. Okay? I think the first thing that's important for you to know is that when slavery is addressed in the Bible and what happened during Paul's day, that is not the same thing as what happened in 19th century America. And to our shame, ours was much worse, much, much worse than what was practiced in ancient Greece and Rome and things a long time ago. Um, there's some differences to it. And I, want, I just want to illustrate. Um, for one thing, the, the, the slavery that took place in 19th century America was race-based. Okay? It was entirely racist. Back in that day, there was no issue of race as far as slavery went. You could be any anybody and become a slave. Okay? It wasn't directed against any one people group. Anybody at that time could become a slave, as it were. And, uh, and, and that was due to all different kinds of circumstances. Number two, I think it's also important for you to recognize that in the Bible, there are certain rules and regulations that are placed over people and slaves and slaves owners that if they were put in practice in 19th century America, all the atrocities that we know of would not have happened. OK, the mistreatment of individuals, people being punished, beaten, whipped, all those kinds of things. If those kinds of rules would have been followed, then none of that would have happened. OK, so the Bible does speak in the Old Testament about certain restrictions and laws and things like that placed on this kind of this kind of institution. But third, it's also important for you to know that Paul, as much as he was able, denounced the mistreatment of anybody as far as he was concerned. If you were to go to Ephesians, he says very clearly at the end of Ephesians that people who have slaves, people who have servants are not to mistreat them in any way, but to treat them as human beings. And he also says to people who are serving somebody else that they should work for them as if they were working for the Lord. There's to be a mutual respect between individuals so that really what you see almost resembles something like an employer employee relationship more than what we know from 19th century slavery. Okay, so it's more I want you to think of it more in that kind of regard rather than something else. You also have to understand that back in that day. If you had a debt to somebody, that is how you became a slave. Okay, if, if you acquire a large amount of debt today, uh, what happens to us? You just go bankrupt. You declare bankruptcy. In those days, there was no bankruptcy. If you owed somebody something, you had to pay it off. And if you were out of money, the way you would pay it off is you go to serve somebody. You become their servant for an extended period of time. 
in order to pay off that debt. So that's one of the primary reasons why people became slaves back in that day. And we don't know how Onesimus came to be this way. Another way might have been that you were captured in war from from another enemy. And so you become a servant in that regard. Maybe Onesimus was this way because he owed a lot of money or his family owed a lot of money. He's trying to pay it off. We don't know. But taking that into consideration, it wasn't race-based. It wasn't something that they were to be mistreated. And further, Paul really had no power to eliminate slavery in his day. We can almost see a hint later on in this letter that there are some insinuation of maybe letting this individual go. Paul doesn't really have the authority to tell him to do that, nor is Paul out to upset the entire Roman way of life. But even if he wanted to, he's just a prisoner. He's a Christian who is hated at that time as far as society goes. And so even if he wanted to, Paul is not in a, in a, in a circumstance whereby he could free all the slaves if he wanted to. Now, I think you'll find that Paul's teaching on slavery would almost lead to that. That if we were to treat each other in fairness to each other and, and treat each other as equals, then that would almost lend itself to set, setting slaves free. And there's, again, some insinuation in that, although not a direct command found in Philemon. But it's important for you to know. I'll just point out Galatians 3.28, a different letter where Paul writes this. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, if there's any doubt in your mind about how Paul views slaves, I think pretty clearly he's saying there that his theology is, All are one in Christ Jesus. These distinctions shouldn't matter. There shouldn't be these distinctions among us. And so if if Paul were to have his way, I don't think this would exist. But he's dealing with the situation he's in. So I'm going to leave it at that. I'm sure there's probably more questions that arise. That's about the best I can do this morning for the sake of time. But let's move on on to the story here in Philemon. Again, it's between Titus and Hebrews. And I hope you turn there. Philemon 1. Paul came into contact with this runaway slave. Again, his name's Onesimus. That, that name I don't think is used up in the church. If you have a child, you can still use that. It's available to you, free, free of cost. Okay, he's sending him back to Philemon with this letter. And we start in verses 1 through 3. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, And the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the opening of a letter, very much similar to what Paul would write elsewhere. As we said, the writer's Paul and he's in prison. He doesn't say what prison he's in, but we do know that he is there because he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hence, that's why he says he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Okay, and he's not alone. Timothy is apparently with him, either in prison as well or most likely just keeping him company. And you might know that Timothy was that younger pastor who's mentioned in the two books that bear his name, right? He's a companion of Paul. He's much younger than Paul, but somebody obviously who Paul uh, respects and admires, who's strong in his theology and has a love for people as well. So he's a young pastor with him. And Paul says he's our brother, which implies that Philemon knew him too when he says he's our brother. Okay. It also shows a little bit our first hint of how Paul regards people. You know, this this terminology of brother, we say it so often, like, how you doing, brother? You know, um, or, you know, teens might say, hey, bro, you know, it's just 
It's become common terminology, but really he's not just saying there's this individual and this individual. It shows a closeness. It shows that the individuals he works with and the people he knows are together for the same cause. Shows a little bit about Paul's heart in that case. The letter is written to Philemon, of course, and Paul also calls him a fellow worker. Okay, which, again, just shows how he regards people. We're all in this for the same cause, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe by fellow worker, he means that Philemon's a pastor. Or maybe he's an elder of a church or, or some other uh, position. We don't know. Just calls him a fellow worker. But at least we can say that he is a very committed Christian. In verse 2, we also see some other names. Aphia and Archippus. Aphia doesn't say who she is. Traditionally, as I read commentaries and things, people believe that that was his wife. Again, doesn't say that, but it could have been. If that's the case, then that would have been significant because in that ancient culture, the wives were also the ones who kind of oversaw the, the, the servant work and, and what they were doing and made sure they were doing what they were supposed to. So she would be very relevant to this case as well. Archippus, he's mentioned in Colossians 4.17. So Paul mentions him in another letter. He's likely a fellow church leader as well. Maybe he's even another pastor. We don't know. But for all these individuals, uh, they're mentioned because usually a letter was to be read aloud in the church. So it says also, and to the church that meets in your home. So it's kind of interesting because uh, he's going to write a very personal thing saying, hey, Philemon, I know this slave ran away from you and I know he's going to come back and you're probably going to be angry, but you for- should forgive him and welcome him. And it's kind of weird because this letter, probably like the other letters of Paul, are meant to be read out loud to the church. So everybody knows it's going to be a difficult thing for him to ask. But he's almost going to be put on the spot in a way or just accountable to everybody else who's hearing this. What Paul's saying to him, it's written to all of them. Okay, and again, this is a common thing for Paul's letters. There was only one copy. It's not like they were emails that could be forwarded to multiple people very easily. They had to be written by hand. So often these things would be read to the congregation. But even though he's addressing it to the whole uh, church, I want you to see this as a friendly letter. Some people have tried to say that Paul's like, you know, trying to twist his arm and using manipulation. I don't see that. Okay, I think this is a very friendly letter based on what comes next. It's not stern. It's not rebuking. It very much shows a love and appreciation for who Philemon is and what his character is like. And so we see in verses four through seven, uh, Paul's loving personal character displayed in his words. He's going to ask a big favor from Philemon, that he should treat Onesimus um, with respect and love. And some commentators would say um, that, you know, they're kind of skeptical of Paul's niceness. Again, I don't see that. I think he's being sincere. Um, We see a good example of what one-on-one discipleship is like by the way he talks. Here we go. Verses four through seven. He says, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ through all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Okay. So just notice some of the things that we see about Paul's love through him, uh, through this letter. You see that Paul hasn't seen him in who knows how long. He's been in prison for a while. So you got to understand there's not a whole lot of correspondence that takes place. They can't see each other every day. And so Paul's making his words count. You know, he's remembering the last time he saw Philemon. And he says, you know what? I appreciate you, brother. 
you have done a lot of good for the cause of Jesus Christ. Okay, he gives thanks for Philemon, we see. And we see he gives thanks for two things. He says for Philemon's faith in Christ and also for his love of his neighbors. And that's wonderful. It shows that Paul has his priorities straight. As, as he's thinking back on Philemon, he's remembering him for the right reasons and for the things that count. He doesn't care how many people are coming to Philemon's church. Uh, he doesn't rejoice over how much money Philemon has. Hey, I'm glad to hear you're doing well financially. I'm glad to hear you're, you have a big congregation meeting at your house. Okay? He, those aren't the things he mentions. He mentions two things. He says, I give thanks for you, brother, because, number one, of your faith in Jesus Christ that's strong and remains strong and for your love of others. Those things have reached my ears. Stories of that have come back to me and I give great thanks to God for that. And so I think we can just pause for a moment and and ask ourselves the question, when you think of others and how they are doing, what's the first thing that comes to mind? When you celebrate your children, for example, do you celebrate their talents first and foremost? Or do you celebrate how much they love God? And how they're walking with Him. How they love others. The question really is, what brings you joy? What brings you joy? Hopefully we get the most overjoyed when someone is walking with Christ. And notice Paul's attitude toward Philemon in verse 6. It says, not only that he gives thanks for him, but he prays for him. What does he pray? He prays specifically for how he will handle the request that Paul's about to give him. Essentially, in verse six, Paul prays that Philemon's faith would show itself in the way that he acts in fellowship, specifically the fellowship he'll display towards Onesimus once he has understood every good thing that Christ has done for him. Read that one more time. Verse six. Okay, this is a difficult verse. And if you have an NIV this morning or an ESV or King James, this is going to be translated totally differently, depending on what translation you have. Verse six. Once again, I like the NAS the best, and I think it does the best job of translating what Paul has in mind. He says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. If you have an NIV, it's all over the place. It's something entirely different. But I think the NAS got it right. And he's basically saying, I'm praying that once you realize what Christ has done for you, that your faith may be evident through fellowship, through the way that you express it. In other words, the, the heart knowledge, the knowledge you have inside of you that you've gained in your head, okay? The, the knowledge that you have learned, that that would translate down to your faith and expressed in action and expressed in the way that you treat others, specifically this one I'm sending back to you, okay? And I think that, that kind of translation fits the best with the context, with what Paul's going to ask. He's going to ask, again, that he forgives this runaway slave and that he receives him. That's going to be tough to do. But he's he's saying in advance, I know that you have refreshed others in the past. I know that you are somebody who loves fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm just praying right now that that kind of love would come forth and show itself in what I'm about to ask you. That's my prayer for you. So in verse seven, Paul is encouraged when he thinks of Philemon because he knows that Philemon has encouraged him many times uh, through the saints that he is encouraged. And that, too, brings Paul joy. Paul loves him. So we see in the end of verse seven, he calls him brother. I think that's cool. I just think that's a really cool way of of putting things. You just look back on verse verses four through seven and look at all the things that Paul is thankful for when he thinks of Philemon. 
He th- he's thankful, for, again, for the things that matter, for how he loved God and for how he loved and for refreshed others. And, and, you know, that's just really cool. Something good for us to keep in mind as we think about discipleship, as we think about how we relate to other individuals in the, in the church, even our own children, as we think of them, it helps us to get our minds focused on the right things. Um, a cool thing happened last year. We just celebrated Valentine's Day, of course. Um, and uh, last year, Sarah had this idea. I give full credit to Sarah for this. Um, it wasn't my idea, but it's great. And now our kids look forward to it. It's become sort of a tradition these past two years. Um, and hopefully something we'll continue to do for Valentine's Day. Um, she decided that we we're going to have the kids kind of write down things that they like about each other. OK, so we can express love to each other as a family. So she, she sat down with them with a piece of paper and said, OK, Caleb, what is it that you like about Amy? OK, and we wrote down things like that. And Amy, what is it you like about Caleb? What is it you like about daddy? What is it you like about mommy? OK, and so we wrote down all these things and she had them write down. And so maybe Amy would say, I, I like the Caleb plays with me or or Caleb said, I think um, I think Amy's a great artist, you know, those kind of things. And so they were just writing these things and then we would write them down and put them on hearts and uh, cut them out of uh, construction paper and tape them to our doors. So now if you were to go in our house right now, you'd see all these colored hearts all over our, our doorways for for each of us. And some of the things that we wrote down for Amy and Caleb, Sarah and I were doing it, too. And uh, and we said, you know, things like I'm really excited I remember saying uh, last year specifically, you know, I was really excited that that Amy was eager to share her faith with with our neighbors, um, because before we bought a house um, and when uh, we were living in our, the place where we were previously, Amy had just learned. We told the story about the candy cane. It was this little story bought around Christmas time, said about how if you turn a candy cane upside down, it becomes a, a J to look like Jesus. And there's red and white stripes and the red could be for Jesus's blood and the white is for how we, you know, our, our, our hearts are made white and clean. And she thought this was great. And, and she wanted to go around and tell all of our neighbors about what the true meaning of Christmas was. And so we went around and, and she brought a candy cane and told them every, you know, all about it and what it meant. And this took a lot of courage. And we were quite proud of her for that. And so one thing I think we wrote down was, and it's cool that you want to share your faith with, with neighbors, okay? Um, I think another thing we wrote down was... Um, when, you know, when, when one of us gets hurt or something, somebody bumps their arm or something, Caleb uh, often, you know, wants to see how we're doing. He, he, he immediately has this uh, empathy for, for how somebody's feeling. If somebody's hurt, he knows it, and you can just tell. Okay, and so we were writing things down like that. That was really cool to do. And now this year, when Valentine's Day came around, they said, hey, can we do it again? Can we write the heart thing again? We want to put down all the things. And so they were all excited to write stuff about each other. Okay, and the things as I look over that door of Amy and Caleb's door, thing that brings me the most joy are are the spiritual things like that. You know, yes, I'm I'm excited that she's an artist. I love art. That's cool. I'd love if she would be in the next Da Vinci or whatever. You know, to be able to paint or draw or whatever she wants to do. And Caleb, he's fast as lightning. He can do circles around me. He loves running around, laps around our house for no reason. Okay, that's just who he is. But you know, those things are great. But ultimately, the things I should be most excited about are ways that they are expressing faith in Jesus Christ. So compassion for one another, a desire to read their, their Bible, a desire to pray for others, okay? a desire to minister to others when they are in need. Those are the things that are, are exciting. And hopefully as parents, those are the things that ex- should excite us the most, right? Or when we think of others around here and not that 
you know, oh, you know, we're really excited that you have this talent or, you know, that things are going well for you in this area, that you're healthy. Yes, all those things are nice and we can give thanks to God for those kind of things, for talents and such. But but the thing that should bring us the most joy and also should be the center of our prayers should be the things that matter the most. And I think we learn a great deal from Paul right here. He summarizes the Christian life up pretty well when he says your faith in Christ and your love for the saints. Basically, somebody said to me before, you know, your, your, your life, Christian life can be summarized in how much you love God and love others. How are those two things doing? And that's exactly what Paul addresses. So he gives thanks for those things and those at the heart of his prayers. And hopefully, as we think about our children, as we think about our relatives, as you even think about individuals within this church and you pray for them, you're wondering, how can I pray for somebody? Hopefully those two things are at the top of your list. So what we learn from Paul as a discipler. Okay, so that takes us up to verse seven. Now we're going to move on to verses eight and nine, and we see this transitions to his request. The first verses are very much connected to what he's going to say here. He says in verse eight, therefore, in other words, because I know what kind of person you are, Philemon, how you care for the saints, how you have a history of refreshing others in their faith. Therefore, I appeal to you on the basis of love, he says, not of command. And of course, that's where we get our title this morning, where I titled it from. He's saying, I'm going to base this on love, not a command. Verses eight and nine. Therefore, even though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you since I am a person as Paul, the aged and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul is going to ask for. Again, he's going to ask Philemon to welcome back and forgive this runaway slave Onesimus because he's turned to Christ and repented. Paul's going to ask Philemon to forgive him. And that's not going to be an easy thing for him to do. It's going to require Philemon to forgive the fact that he's lost all of this this labor, however long Philemon's been gone. And we even get the sense later on in the letter that there's a chance maybe that Philemon stole from Paul. Uh, from Philemon, excuse me, as he ran away, because Paul says later on, um, I, I don't know what verse it is. Here it is. Um, 18. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Okay? I, I don't think Paul would say that unless he had some idea. You know, maybe Onesimus was talking to him while he was in prison, kind of confessing some of the things he did. Seems there's something going on there. And Paul's saying, um, you know, if, he, if, he, if he's stolen anything from you, charge it to my account. I love, I love Paul. You've got to love the humor in the Bible. There is, there is a ton of humor in the Bible. Don't any, let anybody tell you otherwise. But I just, I just love the way Paul puts it in verse 19. He says, if he's wronged you in any way, you know, charge it to my account. But then he has, like, in parentheses, verse 19, not to mention that you uh, owe me your very self as well. <laughs> so he's kind of saying, go ahead, charge that to my account. Uh, just also know that you're only, you know... You, you wouldn't be a Christian if it wasn't for me. So if anybody owes anybody anything, it would be you to me. But go ahead. Claim about how much you lost to this man. OK, it's just just a little bit of a, just a little bit of a dig there. I think that Paul's giving to this man in case he's going to claim that somehow Onesimus stole from him and he, and he has no right to be forgiven. But anyway, it's, it's going to be a tough thing. Um, seems like there was some wrong wrongdoing done. And and so he's asking him to forgive him. And, and he could order him to forgive him based on Christ's commands. That's what he's saying. 
I have enough evidence, if I were to look through the Gospels, to order you that this is the right thing you should do. The right Christian thing would be for you to forgive somebody who wronged you. You could go to any number of passages. How many times should you forgive a person? Seventy times seven. I could break out the Bible verses if you want, Paul's saying. But I'm not going to do that. That's not what I want to do. Instead, I want to appeal to you on the basis of love. Again, I don't think this is a threat. He's just explaining the way he's going about it. And, and as I might have alluded to, uh, Paul chooses this method largely because he knows who he's dealing with. He knows Philemon is a man who loves God and who truly cares about others. And so I think we have to take that into account as well. Here we can pause again and, and learn another lesson, I think, from Paul's methodology before we even get to the request itself, how he approaches this individual. So think about it this way. There are going to be times in your life where you might need to confront somebody on something that you see that they are doing is wrong. Okay, and maybe, you know, we have to do this as parents from time to time. Just correct our children and tell them to do what is right. Okay, and um, if we're trying to counsel somebody to do the right thing, we have two options before us. We can either command them to do what is right or we can make the appeal based on love. And, and I don't mean to break those two as if, like, one's the evil choice and one is the good choice. There are certainly times where we need to address things in a stern manner. Okay? And we know this if we just look at the entire life of Paul and the way he addressed other individuals. Um, if you were to look, you know, in Galatians, there's a time where he had to confront Peter face to face, where Peter was behaving in such a way that he was being inconsistent in the way he treated Gentiles. When he was just with them, he treated them well. They were nice. Everybody was buddy-buddy. When the Jews walked in, he kind of stepped away and said, no, I don't want to be around him. And Paul had to come right up against him face-to-face and say, what you're doing is wrong. Like, what are you doing, Peter? This is wrong. You need to stop it. And so there are times where we need to do that, when we need to confront somebody in that way. But... Paul, I think, is making a wise choice here in, in, in showing us that if, if you know somebody is, is a God-fearing Christian, somebody who wants to serve Christ and, and generally wants to do the right thing, sometimes we are better off in trying to appeal to them in love rather than just issuing a command, rather than just saying, because I said so, because I said so. And, and you know this, Pastor Reed's quoted this uh, you know, quote a number of times where I, I think he said um, he was convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Right. I'm sure you've heard him say that a, a number of times. And that's something that's been drilled into my head. Yeah. Like you can, you know, tell somebody to do the right thing over and over again. But if if they haven't been convinced, if you're just telling them to do it because I said so, you might not have changed their heart. And inside, they might still have the, the same opinion. So Paul, too, is saying here, listen, uh, Philemon, I could command you, forgive this guy, welcome him back in your house, don't charge him any money, treat him well. And maybe Philemon would listen to him because he's Paul, because he's over all these different churches, he's respected. But maybe Philemon wouldn't like it. Maybe you'd do it begrudgingly with a little bit of bitterness and say, OK, this is what I'm doing, but I don't like it. I don't really agree with this. And really upset that you've just made me do this. So, too, it can be like us in our own situations, um, in the way that we choose to address individuals. We are often better off in coming when, when we have a, a problem with somebody. We see somebody doing something wrong and you know you need to address it rather than just coming up and getting in their face to rather sit down with somebody and say, listen, brother or, or listen, sister, 
I, I want to talk to you about something. And, and I think what you're doing is wrong. And, and here's the reasons why. I want to talk to you about it a little bit and explain to you from Scripture why I think this would be a, a good thing for you to do and why I think it's the right thing for you to do and why I think this one honors Christ. And, and if you re- react this way, this would be bringing most glory to God. That's what Philemon is being told here, that, that Paul is trying to appeal to him based on love, based on the love that Paul has for him. But also when it says on the basis of love, I think it is also on the basis of Christ's love in general. In other words, I'm appealing to you based on what you know about the love of Christ. And if you consider all of that, then I think the, the real conclusion you'll arrive at is that we really do need to forgive this man, just as Christ forgave you. Okay? Um, He's being a disciple maker here. And I I think we can learn a lot in that way. Okay? Um, Forgiving each other. Asking people to consider something. Whether that be asking somebody to forgive another person. Or if it's confronting somebody on an issue. Appealing in love is something that we learn from this. Okay? So what I want you to see this morning as we summarize is just that as Paul made this request. Again, we're going to get into this request next week. I'm going to save that for then. And and again, it's going to be a a hefty request he makes to forgive this man. We'll talk about the difficulties of forgiveness, about how hard that might be and 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 why we should. But for this morning, I just want you to to look at Paul, the disciple maker. And and we see we learn a few things. Again, Christians, as Christians who want to make disciples, we should always give thanks for ways that we see others live out their faith in Christ. Number two, we should pray consistently for other spiritual lives that they would um, that they would show this this faith in in the world, that they would influence uh, the world in which they live and that their faith would work out in the actions that they do. And number three, we should seek to encourage other Christians to do the right thing, not only by commanding them, but also appealing to them in love by showing them how choosing the right thing honors Christ and furthers the gospel. And when we do that, I think. They will not just obey because we told them to, because, but because they see how their decision glorifies God and how they desire from their own heart to do the right thing. It's, it's, it's kind of akin to that whole, you know, you give a man a fish for a day and you teach a man to fish. There's a, a difference there. If you show somebody the error of their ways and, and show them from the scriptures how it is they, they're to live and the reasons for that, then they'll walk away not just with a changed attitude and a changed action for that situation, but a larger perspective on life as to what forgiveness looks like, about what, what obedience looks like, and they will go and live differently from then on. And I think we learn a lot from Paul's example in that way. Today, I'd just like you to consider the example of Paul. Seek to be a disciple maker in the way that we see here and encourage others um, in their faith. Thank God for them, pray for them, and guide them in doing what's right. May we seek to build others up in their faith according to this example. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example we see in Paul and just the methodology that he uses here to really disciple uh, an individual. And we often wonder what disciple making is. It sounds like something just apostles did or like this high and mighty thing that's difficult to do. But we see in this letter, God, that it's, it's not something that's beyond our grasp. Really, it just involves encouraging others, thanking God for them, praying for them, working with them one-on-one to try and encourage others to do what is right. And so, God, I pray this morning that wherever you've placed us, whatever spheres of influence that we have,
that we, we, we take it upon ourselves to encourage others in this manner, to thank God for them, to pray for them, and to help them through difficult decisions to choose what is good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.